You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy. How are you? Doing good, Shane. Just got off the road literally about 15 minutes ago. Jumped back on. We got a recap. Day four, SEC Media Days. Back in Nashville. Left that terrible state I was just in, Alabama. No longer in Hoover. The quality of this podcast, the audio should be a little bit better, thankfully. We got three teams today. Auburn, Vandy, Kentucky to close us out. Then we're going to have some closing thoughts on the SEC Media Days 2019 edition. You ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. league. We haven't decided how we're going to play the guys. So I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know. I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. You know, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our players, I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, you just hear it over and over. And, you know, like every other, every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice. So you just uh, you get used to it. It's, it's a catchy tune, right? I mean. This game's going to be a street fight. This game's going to be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat. Launch bail. Let's get to work. All right, Shane, let's start with Auburn. War damn eagle. Down on the plains there in Hoover, we had Gus Malzahn. And, you know, he brought three linemen which, you know, they just announced these, the player representatives last week. And for some reason, I guess, you know, while I was down there, it just made me think about it more and more that this is a, a different kind of Gus Malzahn team. I don't know about you, Shane, but when I generally think of Gus Malzahn, I think of running backs and receivers and the occasional quarterback. But I generally don't think of linemen. We all know they have a great defensive line, so it was... It, wasn't totally shocking to see two defensive linemen make the cut, but that is pretty rare, though. But then on the flip side, another offensive lineman. I think they were kind of trying to make a statement that they're kind of just getting back to tough-nosed football. Yeah, I mean, that was that's what it seemed like the uh, 
the speech was all about, you know. Gus said a lot, Mike, and he was trying to coach us up and let us know that his offensive line is going to be bigger and better than ever, and this is the best defense he's ever had. And uh, I don't know if you caught this, but he must have mentioned uh, SEC championship appearances and national championship appearances about four or five times during this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, newsflash. You weren't the head coach when they won the national championship, you know. <laughs> the last time that you were in a championship game, there was only 12 teams in the SEC, Mike. So let's don't let's don't hang our hat on something that happened nine years ago. This is uh, you're going to have to create something down there in Auburn, and we're not going to do it by talking about what's happened in the past because what's happened in the past is not working. Uh, this is not what the fans want to see. They want to be excited about what's going to happen in the future. They want to hear more about this quarterback situation. You know, it seems like he was asked about 20 times about the quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, he's saying that he's going to have somebody ready prior to week one, which obviously I think that's uh, an obvious statement. But who who's that cat going to be? You know, it, everybody wants it to be Bo. If that's going to be the guy, let's let's go ahead and. Let's go ahead and start it, Mike. Let's start the Bo hype train right now. Clearly, listeners, Shane, you already know, he's down on Auburn. He's got Gus getting fired. <laughs> he's got Auburn as one of the worst teams in the SEC West. I'll give you the, the counter to all his arguments, all his terrible arguments there. <laughs> because when Auburn won the national championship, when Auburn last went to the national championship, and right now in the 2019 season, Shane, those three teams have one thing in common. Do you know what that is? Three losses. Gus calling the offensive plays. No, they won the national championship when he when he was calling the plays oh, as an offensive yeah. coordinator. Well, he, but he, I mean, he wasn't they, the guy. It was that was Chizik's team, you know. No, that was that was all Malzahn calling <laughs> running the show, and his magic got him there. And then just a few years ago, Shane, if had they beaten Georgia in that SEC championship game, I think. There's a chance they would have won another one. So I like the fact that he's calling the plays. And he just, I don't know, I think that's going to fix a lot of the issues on the offensive line. He said they got, you know, his line's got a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, there was some championship talk, which I think he's kind of got to say coming out of, he's doing everything he can to avoid hot seat talk. You know what I mean? So if if you're not on the hot seat, you're competing for championships. So I think that was kind of his narrative. But I thought the two best things he had to say was uh, just the fact that he's taken over the play calling and then uh, thoughts on the offensive line. Because while everyone's pointing to the – man, he got so many damn questions today about the quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. I wrote an article, and I believe this firmly. I don't think the quarterback matters. I think it's the offensive line. I think that – is the key to Auburn's season. It doesn't matter if they make the right decision at quarterback. If the offensive line does not open the holes, they do not get the running game going, whoever they select to be the starter is going to get buried because they're going to be a third and long all day, and I don't think his offense is designed for that. Uh, so let's jump to Malzahn. These are two different clips here, but I've spliced them together on his decision to take over the play calling and the offensive line. Was there any consternation? Was there any thought of, do I do this? Do I yeah. not do this? Will you share the backstory about how you came to that decision? Yeah, you know, I've called plays my whole life. I mean, that's who I am and kind of got me to where I'm at. And then, of course, about three years ago, you start getting advice and encouragement to let somebody else do it. And, of course, you do it. And uh, I'm not real good at staying around watching. 
And uh, so when Chip Lindsey decided to leave, which Chip Lindsey, an outstanding coach, he will do great at Troy. Uh, he decided to leave, it just kind of set back like, okay, all right, or am I going to go ahead and hire another offensive coordinator or am I going to do it myself? And just had a lot of uh, prayer and uh, just getting back to being me. And so we did that in the bowl game and it just, the, the light flipped on and uh, just made all the difference in the world. Um, you know, we played really good in, in, our, in our bowl game, but what it did is just, it gives you a great feel. And I think we got a chance to, to really be good on offense again this year and just excited to get back to being me. Hey, Coach, Michael Bradley from Saturday Down South. I'm sure you're getting asked about your quarterbacks basically every day of the offseason, but I'm more interested in your running game. You going back to play calling. How big is the running game getting up back to your standard and getting that offensive line to play up to their yeah. expectations? Uh, how big is that for the upcoming season? Yeah, to, to win a, a championship in this league, uh, it's well documented. You have to be successful at running the football. That will be a big factor. I will say this about our offensive line. They were the least experienced group, I think, in our league last year. They had some growing pains, and they got beat up. Uh, they're all back. They're all seniors. They've got a chip on their shoulder. They got something to prove, and I think that's good. But still, throwing the football, you got to be able to do both to win a championship. And you know, we really believe in throwing the football down the field vertically. We're going to get back to that. And you know, when we have explosive plays, we look like an Auburn offense. We did that in the bowl game. We need to carry that over, you know, this season. All right, Shane. So there's your coach that you got one foot out the door. And I got him one step closer to coach of the year. Thoughts on those comments? <sighs> Mike, you know, name the last successful coach to be a coordinator. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even Nick Saban, yes, he's got a big influence on the defense, but he's not calling the plays. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Uh, Kirby Smart's not calling the plays. Dabo Sweeney's not calling the plays. It's just, if when you... When you focus in on one side of the ball, it's going to affect the other key areas like special teams and defense. There's just no way. There's not enough hours in the day you can focus on just one side of the ball. I think it's going to hinder this team. Um, but so I will say this. One thing, one of the comments that he made that I did like, especially with Gus's offense, is you got to have a quarterback that can run the ball. And – one thing about the two prospects we're looking at potentially being the starting quarterback is they're both mobile. That helps you on third downs. That helps you create plays uh, off script. So if, I, if you're taking anything away from what's going to be on the field this year, mm -hmm. I'm excited about the quarterback play, even though I, I give Bo a hard time, you know, just the fact that you've got a little mobility back there, I think will help. Gus and, and what he's trying to do with this offense. Well, Shane, I'm going to smash your argument once again. All right. You ever heard of a man named Lincoln Riley? who's back-to-back -back Heisman winners, back-to-back -back playoff appearances. He calls all the plays down there at Oklahoma, and it seems to be working out pretty good for the Sooners. No, I don't know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of championship aspirations, Shane, Derek Brown, you know, he was asked about his decision to come back. You know, he clearly could have went to the NFL. He's coming back. He may be the number one defensive lineman on the NFL draft boards now, and he's anchoring that Auburn defensive line. He was asked about coming back and the expectations for this upcoming season, and uh, he echoed what Malzahn had to say here. Derek, do you guys have defined expectations as a team this year, and if so, what are they? 
I mean, SEC championship, being able to compete for an SEC championship, and then being able to compete for a national championship. For anybody to sit here and tell you all that they, that they don't want to go to a national championship or they don't want to go to the SEC championship, and I, you know, they're lying. And I mean, you know, every week guys come in every single week. They're not coming in hoping to play in this game or that game in the year. Everybody wants to be in that four-game playoff. So, I mean, I think that's the goal, and I think that's the goal for every college football team in the country. All right, Shane. So, the leader of Auburn's defensive line, and they got a deep one, Shane. I mean, hell, they brought Brown and they brought Marlon Davidson, and they got Nick Coe back home. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, this line is just so talented that. Uh, I, I really do think that if the offensive line comes together, which is a huge if based on last year, but Malzahn calling the plays, this defense gets it going, this team's going to be tough to beat in my mind. Well, I, I'm with you, man. But, you know, one thing we talked about in the offseason, you know, this Auburn line is shaky at best. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're expecting a lot from an offense offensive front that hasn't proved it yet. Mm-hmm. They've gotten thinner. You know, so, you know, they're one or two injuries away from being in a real predicament down there. And when you don't have an offensive line, I don't care who's calling the plays. You know, you're going to have trouble moving the ball in the SEC. All right, Shane, let's jump to Vanderbilt. Take it down. Second team on the docket here at SEC Media Days, day four. And old Derek Mason, he was playing the disrespect card. (laughs) Shocker. Joe Bombo, SB Nation Radio. How you doing, Coach? How you doing? Looking great, man. You too. All right, well, you're one of the only top Power 5 teams with a running back that was top three in rushing Mm -hmm. in this conference, a receiver that was top three in receiving, and a tight end that was top three in receiving at their positions respectively. Why don't you guys get any sort of consideration when we talk about contenders in the SEC East? Well, I I believe, man, you got to go back, and that's something that's probably been – uh, you know, historically an issue at Vanderbilt. I think James Franklin did a great job, man, of, of eventually, you know, man, pushing the bar and getting guys like Jordan Matthews and Casey Hayward uh, uh, looked at and, and, and people starting to recognize because of how, how hard those guys played and competed. Well, for us, um, it goes probably back to my first year, 2014. You know, man, we didn't do well and everybody says, okay, and they're probably right back to same old Vandy. And since then, man, we've sort of been put in that box. But here's what I do know. We haven't finished last in our conference, okay, man, since year one. So, I mean, looking at players and evaluating play over, over, over you know, anything else is, is, is what's really supposed to happen. But I think there's a bias, uh, you know, at times about Vanderbilt and what we do. That's okay. Hey, when it's all said and done, it still hasn't stopped players at Vanderbilt University from going to the NFL and getting degrees. And we've been doing that in spades. So, you know, man, I'm excited about what we bring to the table. And, you know, man, with that being said, okay, these guys are going to continue, man, to perform. It just so happens, too, that when you look at Pinckney, you know, man, Kalijah and, and, and Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, two of those guys are fifth-year players, one's a fourth-year player. You know, Jordan Matthews came back for his senior year and I think, you know, broke almost every record that there was in the SEC. I think there's something to be said about junior and senior football players coming back, okay, and being able to get on that stage because the accolades when you perform come your way. All right, Shane, so Derek Mason making some good points there. I see what he's saying. It does seem that Vanderbilt is always picked dead last, and they're usually finishing sixth instead of seventh. That's because they've been beating Tennessee for the last three years, you know? Right. And that, I mean, that was the disappointing thing, Shane. I mean, it's got to be 
frustrating if you're a Vanderbilt fan, but uh, the, from what I understand, I did not get to see it because I was in the small room, but uh, when Derek Mason took the podium for the, in the big ballroom, I believe his first question was about Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, he kind of ducked it, didn't want to talk about it. And I wish they would have told me they were going to do that heading into this event because I asked every single one of his players, Shane, about Tennessee, about beating Tennessee every year. And if, you know, they want to go out being the only Vanderbilt team to never lose and to Tennessee. Yeah. Not a single one wanted to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) They were coached up, man. Well, you know, I think last year we got a couple Tennessee soundbites from them. So I I think they were just – they were more prepared. And and as far as preparation, Derek Mason is the absolute best. When he's up there – I listen to every word he says. He's the sharpest dressed guy there. Hell, I didn't know he had so much hair, Mike. I didn't even know he had hair. I thought he was bald for some reason. Uh, he looked. He was sharp, and he was great at the podium. He said all the right things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, another cool nugget, he was the only coach to get there a day early. You know, So he was doing Radio Row the day before. This is a guy that's trying to create a new narrative for Vanderbilt. And uh, I commend him for that, man. I mean, no other coach in the SEC's done this since Tommy Tupperville. You know what I'm saying? So right. uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, and his players were impressive. Is maybe the the only thing I can come up with after you said that. But you know, they said all the right things. They didn't. No viral comments came from them. The only thing, and I don't even think this is that bold, Shane, because I just think that not enough people watched Vanderbilt last year. But, you know, we asked Kalijah Lipcomb about Keyshawn Vaughn and just how good of a running back he can be. And listen to what he had to say here, Shane. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn was a guy that I wasn't that familiar with until he played last season for you guys. If he stays healthy, do you think he can be the best running back in the SEC next season? Hot take, Keyshawn Vaughn is the best running back in the SEC. Point blank period. Um, he may not say it, but I'll tell you guys because I see how he works every day. Um, I, I see the 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 attention he pays to detail. I see his intentions as far as how he wants to grow and you know, and how good he wants to be. And if you watched us play Baylor, you saw that when he's hot, he can do whatever he wants on the football field. You know, it's really just, you know, get him the ball and watch him go. So, um, like I said, looking forward to seeing that guy grow, you know, and be even better than he was last year, you know, this upcoming fall. All right, Shane, so they've got a ton of faith in Keyshawn Vaughn. The SEC's most explosive back. I mean, I was asking uh, Jared Pinkney about him as well, and, I mean, he knew his yards. He knew his average. <laughs> I mean, they know that this guy's their bread and butter. Average eight yards per carry last year. That's that's insane. But um, Well, even Mason said he ran a 4-3-40. I don't know if that's true, but uh, there's a lot of hype coming out with Keyshawn. And I'll tell you what, man, you know I'm a Keyshawn Vaughn fan. and. Mm-hmm. Would would you call me nuts if I told you right now that he's the second best running back in the SEC? No, I mean I think, you know, I think you have to put DeAndre Swift number one. Right, that's who I got. But if not for him, yeah, I think Vaughn would be number one, and I think there's an outstanding chance Vaughn has better numbers because Georgia's just going to be rotating guys, you know? Yeah, yeah, I and I tell you what, man, Vandy brought some talent down there. Uh, you, you talked about Pickney, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's going to be one, if not the best tight end in the conference again. 
Uh, I like Keyshawn Vaughn. Lipscomb is very talented as well. Uh, they've got the, all three of these guys are going to be playing on Sunday, man. Yeah, and speaking of Pickney, it was really interesting because he was asked about, you know, some of the tight ends that he's kind of modeled his game after, and you think he would say something like, you know, Gronkowski or Jimmy Graham. I'm just picking like guys that have played recently. And he was like, you know, I really like John Mackey from the 70s. He's like, I sit back and watch all his film, and it's just like, my God. He's like, and I get my blocking from some guy that I never even heard of. And uh, I was just kind of blown away by by his attention to detail. And that's just kind of par for the course, I think, for everyone there at Vanderbilt. Uh, I, th- I think Mason picked three great guys. And like we said before, even this event started, Shane, we could be talking about the best running back, the best tight end, the best receiver, uh, potentially in the league at all three positions mm-hmm. playing at Vanderbilt, and I mean that's a wild statement, but I don't think it's I don't think it's that crazy. By the end of the season, they could all be there. Yeah, I think it all boils down to who's who's your quarterback. You know, right? Uh, I, I'm curious. You know, a lot of people took Kyle for granted last year, and uh, I think whoever you bring in, they're going to have weapons around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I hope they make the right decision early. Oh, one final thing, Shane. I forgot to mention this with Auburn, but I can I can tie it in here with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt in Georgia. It was announced. You know they're playing Week One in Nashville. SEC Nation is going to be on location for the Vanderbilt Georgia game, so that's pretty cool. The the SEC Network game day esque show mm-hmm. and college game day going back to Auburn, uh, they have announced they're going to be at Oregon versus Auburn in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium for college game day. So that's pretty awesome that game day and SEC Nation both go into SEC schools. I mean, no surprise to us, SEC is the best. And, I mean, it just they continue to prove it. Dude, I'm pumped. I am ready for football, Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm just ready. Saturdays suck, you know. I, I need some college football. <laughs> All right, Shane, let's get to the stars of the show, Kentucky Wildcats. The final team here, SEC Media Days 2019. I was impressed by everyone there. Mark Stoops, you know, came on a mission. I think they're they're really playing this disrespect card like no other, Shane. Uh, what yeah. were your t- takeaways from uh, Kentucky being there and everything? Same thing. Felt the same vibe, but I think this is the same – you know, same blanket they've been wearing for the last three years. You know, it worked last year. Every year, you know, Stoops got a better record. It's going to be tough to beat 10 wins, but uh, that's the mentality you want. And when you got a guy like Cash singing the – I mean, you know that locker room is going to be pumped up. So, um, I think they're all bought in. Now, here's – everyone wanted to know how they're going to keep it going, Shane. Mark Stoops, this is the only thing I didn't like about his appearance. It was, it was very – Butch Jones-esque, just this comment, but I heard him say it several times that Kentucky, for six years in a row, never taken a step back, either the same record or improved, which that's a hell of a step, but um, I don't know if they're going to be able to say that next year because that means they're going to ha- they have to win 10 games, but I don't know if you want to go into a season with a slogan like that and, and not be able to back it up, but hell, if they think they can, they're confident they can, maybe you do, maybe they... Maybe that's your ticket to, to saying it, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of heat on Twitter on this one, Mike. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> getting on to us about putting Kentucky sixth in the East, but uh, 
you know, of course, I told Ollie, I said, uh, well, you know, one thing, I'm always right when I'm betting on Kentucky. So. <laughs> <laughs> they may be going to Atlanta, Mike. <laughs> well, that's one thing Stoops hit on, the perception of the Kentucky Wildcats in recent seasons. Obviously, he's cleaned it up and just keeps trending up. And then I piggyback that because – I think is important. You know, we've, we've discussed it at length during the offseason, but I think it's worth saying again, their offensive coordinator said no to Georgia, stayed in Lexington. Of course, I'm talking about Eddie Grant here. And so I asked Mark Stoops about that and keeping him and just how big that is for his program. Uh, let's uh, jump to Mark Stoops here. Coach, during your time in Lexington, obviously you guys have opened a new facility, state of the art, just had a great year last mm-hmm. season. How all these things combined, how has that helped you on the recruiting trail? And are you getting in more and more uh, elite players in that area? It it definitely helps. Um, You need to keep up. As you know, in the SEC, nobody's interested in going back. Everybody's constantly building and improving their programs. I think also what probably doesn't get talked about as much is in our league, we try to reinvest back in our student athletes as much as we can. So not only the structures, but the people around our players to help them in all areas of their life. Uh, so we're proud of our stadium. We're proud of facilities we've built. And uh, it has given us an opportunity to improve uh, in recruiting. Um, and also with the, uh, you know, with the win and uh, winning the New Year's Day bowl game and winning 10 victories, uh, that helps as well. There was speculation this offseason that Coach Grand, possibly Georgia, wanted to hire him. Uh, how big is it for your offense and specifically Terry Wilson's progression to bring him back for another season? Well, we're, we're excited about the continuity. Our, our staff comes, in, uh, comes back intact on the offensive side of the ball. We just talked about John Summerall. Uh, coming in and and, uh, Brad White on defense being elevated to the defensive coordinator. So we have one change and uh, offensively we come back intact. I think that is good. It is important. Uh, You have a quarterback that uh, was in his first year and uh, that experience will really help him. It's really important to have Eddie back. He's a fantastic coach. He's a great leader and uh, he's a great play play caller. Um, You know, we're constantly looking to improve and uh, we talked about Terry. I think he's He's set to make a big jump, and good coaches adjust. You know, we had a formula last year that gave us the ability to win 10 games and put us in position to win some others, and uh, this year that may change. You don't know how that's going to look. You have to adapt and change with each uh, your, uh, team you have, and uh, Coach Graham does a great job with that. Now, Shane, why I really wanted to hit on this subject with Coach Graham because, you know, I said it there a little bit, but – if you lose an offensive coordinator, it's one thing if he if he becomes a head coach. I mean, there's no shame in that. Right. That happens that happens every year at Alabama. But you know what doesn't happen at Alabama, Shane? They don't lose a defensive coordinator to say LSU. Yeah. To be the to the same thing because basically what that's saying is there's a better job over there, and for all the progress Kentucky made, I think that really could have been a negative perception hit. But it was uh, is obviously it was the flip side. So. Uh, I mean, there's big things going on at Kentucky, and it's one thing to say it. It's one for the, it's another thing for these coaches to actually put their money where their mouth is and, and stay there. Yeah. And uh, I, I just thought this was uh, something that, of course, we hit on at the time, but heading into the season, I don't think enough people are talking about. I think it's just huge for Kentucky. Yeah, and it's something, you know, we talked a little bit about Vanderbilt and changing the narrative, you know. To change the narrative of Vanderbilt, you got to do what Kentucky has been doing. 
and that's improving every single year. And the fact they have 10 wins last year, they beat Florida on national television, they beat Mississippi State when they shouldn't have, they beat South I mean, they looked fantastic. We were going into the Georgia game with the winner playing for an SEC championship. That's where Kentucky was. And if they maintain that for another year, maybe the year after, the narrative has changed. These kids that are in high school, they're only watching college ball five, six years. They're soaking up what has happened the last five or six years. So Kentucky is on the verge of being able to change the narrative and the way people perceive that brand. They love their basketball. Now, if you could build yourself a, a, a production a football team, you know, a productive mm-hmm. football team, then, yeah, you've changed the narrative. You became the school. So uh, this year, I'm not saying that they got pressure, but if they want to change the brand, they got to do it by winning nine, ten games this year. Now, Shane, before we get to the star of SEC Media Days, there was a comment from Lynn Bowden. I tweeted it out. This got the most reaction. Anything I put out on during the entire SEC Media Days, I think. Let's jump to Lim Bowden talking about the rowdiest fans in the SEC. Earlier this week, we asked a player, I believe it was from Florida, who the most rowdy fan base he's dealt with is. And we were surprised, but he said Kentucky. Would you agree that Kentucky is the most rowdy fan base? or And also, who's the... Who's the craziest fan base you've had to deal with as a player? I think I think Big Big Blue Nation is, is very very rowdy, you know, and that just comes from getting no respect, you know. Um, our fans, they they love our program, they love our teams, every team, not just football or basketball, every team in our program, and um, I just I just think they get overexcited sometimes, but I love it, you know. I need their energy to have my energy, and uh, I think. The rowdiest teams, fan base we played was probably South Carolina. My freshman year when we went down there, you know, things got a little chippy between us and the fans, you know. They've been at the end zone, and that's where we warm up at. A couple words were exchanged, but they get a little crazy. They get a little crazy. <laughs> so, Shane, even you took exception to this, which I thought was pretty interesting, but right there you have the Gamecock fans. Now, he's not necessarily saying the best or anything like that. He's just saying the rowdiest. And I've heard that damn Willie B shaken before. So, uh, South Carolina, how surprised are you to see one of the rivals say that's the rowdiest fan base in the SEC? Uh, You know, I say they are one of the rowdiest. I don't think they are the rowdiest, obviously. It's going to take more than techno music to get me to change my perception (laughs) of South Carolina's rowdy, you know, They are – I will tell you, though, I've watched a lot of ball games in South Carolina. I've not been to a South Carolina game, and I I probably should before I just make this judgment. But uh, it looks loud on TV. I'll tell you, if it's a a close ball game or if they're winning a game they weren't supposed to be winning, that place can get electric. But to say that it is the highest or the best, I'm going to have to disagree with them at this moment, Mike. Let me ask you, Shane. If Alabama comes in there, goes into a damn buzzsaw and get their ass handed to them again, will you amend that statement? Absolutely. I will sing the fight song the next day, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you heard it here first. It wouldn't be the first time Shane's had to sing a fight song on this No, I am am 0 for 1 for fight song bets right now, Mike. So South Carolina fans should be happy. 
All right, Shane, the star of SEC Media Days. I teased it there before. Cash Daniel, our boy. Man, he lived up to the hype. I'll tell you that, Shane. For anyone that didn't see it, he damn dressed like Jon Snow. And that was he wore a Game of Thrones pin. I mean, he, he did that on purpose. He said it. And I didn't ask him that in my room, but I only got to fire off two questions on him, Shane. I thought you would appreciate each of them. And this is unusual, but he's kind of worthy of it. We're just going to play these entire damn segments. Uh, so it's starting off, Shane, asking him about the Super Bowl commercial that I thought I just thought that was incredible. And then he's talking about John Summerall. I thought this was classic. Their new linebackers coach there in Lexington. And finally, I had to do it for you, Shane. I had to get, and it was the final question of the day. I asked him about his future in professional wrestling. Hey, Cash, Michael Brandon from Saturday Down South. I wanted to ask you about participating in the Super Bowl commercial. What was your experience there? And uh, what do you think the message was that Kentucky not only put that out there, but let you be featured in it? That was pretty cool. I'm, I'm glad they let me start my acting career with that. So uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, they came in and they had cameras like your alls, but uh, they looked, they had like this big, like hold a grip on it. And I was like, man, how expensive is that camera? He said, well, do you know this camera right here made Avengers Endgame? I was like, ooh. That's pretty. That's a lot of money right there. So I knew it was a, it was a pretty serious production, and it was funny because uh, have you guys had Logan in here yet? Stenberg, did you guys ask him about how, if he laughed at me during that? You didn't ask him about it. You guys missed out on a good question. <laughs> but uh, so it was like a, it was a, they we, they brought us in our um, in our uh, like our team we call it relax room. We go in there shoot pool or whatever. And uh, they had the lights and tape marked off where everybody was. We're supposed to be standing. And they gave me the script and told me how they wanted me to read it and everything. And and I'd never done that before. Like that was my first time like reading a script. Like everything you see me, you know, yelling, screaming, acting a fool, you know, comes from my heart. So it's kind of hard. It was kind of hard for me at first to read something and be passionate about it because you know I, it, it didn't come from me. So I didn't know how to I didn't know how to do it at first. To be quite honest with you. And that's how. Logan and them, you know, started dying laughing at me after the third or fourth word. I started screaming. So uh, we were there. We were there a long time, though. We were there for about four or five hours just because of how many takes we had to do. But it was overall, it was fun. Uh, you know, the fans enjoyed it, and I got, we got a lot of really good feedback from it. You know, we had that promotional video where I said to, for people to watch it and video it, you know, and tape their reaction and thing. We had a bunch of you know, bunch of reactions. And it was really fun to see, you know, little kids and, you know, their parents, you know, making out C-A-T-S, cats, 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 and, you know, watching the video and, you know, screaming and hollering in their living room. Um, it was pretty fun. Question here in the middle. The Got two questions. Um, the first, who were some of the U.K. guys you looked up to growing up in Paintsville? And two, what does John Sumrall bring to this coaching staff and to the team? Uh, as a kid growing up, when, when watching Kentucky, you know, one guy you thought of was Jacob Tammy. Um, you know, a Kentucky boy from Bourbon County, uh, and how he, you know, conducted himself, you know, not only on the on the field but off the field as well, and how hard he played. Uh, you know, so Jacob was always uh, Jacob was always a favorite of mine. Uh, then obviously, uh, probably either Randall Cobb or Andre Woodson, just because of you know how infamous those guys were at playmaking and what uh, what Randall's been able to do with uh, the Packers and now the uh, the Cowboys. Uh, you know, it's just unreal what those guys have done. And in the, in the games that I was actually there to see them play, uh, 
No matter how, no matter you know what happens, I'll never be able to forget that. And then Summerall, Summerall, yeah. Coach, uh, he's 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 my coach, man. He's if you had a if I had to have a coach that was kind of like me, uh, it'd be him. He's he's me, he's the me version of a coach. So um, he's very fiery. You know, he's got a lot of energy, uh, and you can tell he he cares a lot and has got a lot of passion for uh, for this team and this in this room. It means a lot to him, you know, because you know. He's a Kentucky alum. You know, he came here. He always jokes. He jokes about it all the time. He said, he's, boys, I played here, whatever. He goes, uh, I made 75 trips my senior year. I'm not going to call them tackles. I'll call them trips because I, I didn't tackle them. <laughs> and he always say that. It's just, he keeps the, the room lightened up, man. And, you know, and, and it's, uh, you know, and I think it helps young guys learn because, you know, if it's, you know, a uh, an easy setting to learn in, that kind of environment where, you know, the coach isn't always just going to just go off on you for the least, the slightest mistake. Um, you know, I think that you know that helps that helps guys learn and uh, it helps bring guys together closer. Cash, hopefully after a lengthy NFL career, but have you given any thoughts to life after football? I think I've seen videos of you smashing dudes through tables and whatnot. Any professional wrestling or media personality in your future? Uh, you know, man, I'd, I'd like to like go on like the the Pat McAfee route. You know, just go play, play me some years in the NFL, go to Barstool. Why isn't Barstool here? That's one question. <laughs> I don't see Big Cat or PFT or those guys here. It kind of makes me sad. We got to fix that. But, uh, you know, uh, after football, man, it's just uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to bass fish a lot, be quite honest with you. I mean, professional wrestling's cool. Shout out to the club, my boys AJ Styles, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows. But, um, you know, I just bass fishing and professional wrestling is just something that you know I, I like to do or like to watch or do. You know, when I'm not in football, so just be able to do that and uh, have fun with it. But yeah, if the if if the WWE came knocking and if I had nothing going on, then it'd be kind of hard to tell Vince McMahon no. All right, Shane. So we hit on all 14 teams on the pod at SEC Media Days, recapping all the action. Now we're gonna give us a little recap of the whole thing but before we do that i wanted to run down my ballot shane so we already made our official sec predictions for the standings mm-hmm. all right shane so at the end of sec media days they have us cast a ballot for our all sec selections and you know you and i have already given out our divisional breakdown so i'm not going to go over that we've did that on a previous podcast if you want to check it out but uh, I just want to give you my thoughts, Shane, and we're not going to go over this entire list because, it's trust me, if we did it, it'd be very boring. <laughs> but we're just going to go run down some of the uh, top offensive positions, and I just want to get your thoughts on my selections. Okay. And the way I do this, Shane, I don't know. They don't really give you a criteria, but I think it would just be stupid if you went and picked who was the best last season. Yeah. I use this as I'm trying to project at the end of the regular season who are the most outstanding players in the SEC, and I think I'm going to surprise you with my first selections here at quarterback, so you're only allowed to pick two. Cannot pick more than that, but I think first one's obvious. I went two, no surprise there. Number two, Shane, who do you think I went with number two quarterback? Um, Jake Fromm. I went with one Joseph Burrow. And I'll tell you why, Shane. 
nothing against Jake Fromm. I think he's a hell of a player, obviously. I've said it many times on this podcast. But I think with the fact that, you know, Georgia's issues with receiver and tight end and them having a dominant offensive lineman and running backs. And on the flip side, you got LSU going to this, you know, open offense with all these receivers. I think Joe Burrow is going to open some eyes. And I just think he's going to be a little bit more impressive this season. So am I crazy with that line of thinking? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, <laughs> I mean, because Burrow didn't do it last year. And I know that he had another offseason to work out with this team and uh, create, you know, better chemistry with the wide receivers. If we're at the end of the year, you and me both have Georgia and Alabama going to the SEC championship unbeaten. Um, I don't, they're not going to do it if, Tua and Fromm are are not healthy. And if they're healthy at the end of the season, there's no way that those guys are not the best two quarterbacks in this conference. Well, I'm going to have to disagree on you with that one, Shane. All right, running backs, you're only allowed to pick four. Okay. So I went with DeAndre Swift, Keyshawn Vaughn, LaMichael P. Ryan from Florida, and Larry Roundtree from Missouri. Thoughts on those selections? Uh. P. Ryan would have been close. P. Ryan and Roundtree, um, obviously, I like Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay, so let me just get this again. So you got Swift, Roundtree, P. Ryan, and who? Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Okay. I probably would have, obviously, I like Clydesdale. Uh, kind of the same situation we've been talking about with LSU. I just mm-hmm. think this guy is going to lead the country with touches. Not necessarily rushing yards, but receiving yards, just actual yardage at the end of the season. I don't think we could keep him off the list. And um, Roundtree, P. Ryan, um, I like them both, but I'm going to have to go with uh, with uh, Damien. And the reason I am, I think that we're going to see a little bit more running from the Alabama Clemson Tide this year. I think that, you know, a lot of these games got a little carried away with Tua throwing and, and trying to just blow them out. I think uh, I think Nick's going to get back to the way Saban used to and, you know, better with the time management. And you do that by running more. So um, I think Damien's going to have a big season there with the Tide. No, wait, I think you mean Najee Harris, right? I'm sorry, I'm Najee, yes. Now, that's an interesting one, Shane. I was hoping you'd say that because I'm going to say a bold thing here. I don't like to, I'm not trying to talk down to these players. I don't like to do that and say anything terribly bad about them. But I do not, for the life of me, understand why people think Najee Harris is this all star player. I think it's because he was the number one recruit in the nation, five star talent. But I don't think I have ever seen him make the first guy miss, like literally ever. I don't. I do not know that I've seen that. He's never had a run longer than I think 32 yards. Now he does have an awesome average. I think he was. I think he averaged something like nine yards per carry last year. <laughs> but he was the third string running back, and Damian Harris did most of the heavy lifting, and Josh Jacobs did the other. And I mean, they. I don't know. I just watched. I've watched all these Alabama games two or three times, and I never came away thinking Najee Harris was anywhere close to those two. And I don't. I think he's going to be surpassed by one of the freshmen. So well, I would. I would not have Najee. I've seen Najee Harris all over All American lists, and top ten running backs in the nation lists. 
I would not put him in the top 10 in the SEC. Well, again, Mike, you're, you're, you're forgetting the offensive line. I mean, he may not have to have anybody miss if he's four yards in, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> he's going to yeah. have, his numbers are going to be there regardless. He's going, he's probably going to have more touchdown opportunities than, than any of these running backs on the list. I just think, you know, a lot of people get caught up with the stats and not the talent. And, and that's what all Americans. Well, that's do the for- thing. I don't think he has the talent. Now Look, I think they, they do have the guy coming in named Trey Sanders. I, for me, I think running back is a unique position, Shane, where you could walk on the field day one, and if you're if you're elite, you're you see it. Right. He's been on the field for two years. I've not seen it, so it's just gonna come now. I I just don't I don't think so. No, I got you, man. But that's what I'm saying. When you when these people look at all Americans at the end of the season, it's about mm-hmm. the stats, not the actual player. So I think the stats will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you put somebody like uh, Keyshawn Vaughn in the Crimson Tide uniform. I mean, we're talking, this is a totally different story. We may be talking about him as the best running back in the, in the conference. So I just think with the, the talent that they got down there, it, like you said, they can plug and play any running back back there. And, and he's going to be a top four or top five, at least. All right, Shane receiver. They only let us pick four, but here's my four. Jerry Judy from Alabama, Harry Ru- Henry Ruggs from Alabama, <laughs> Brian Edwards from South Carolina. And this is going to be a surprise to you, I think. Jamar Chase, receiver, LSU. I think he's going to be their number one option this year. Joe Burrow kept singing his praises. I think he's going to break out and have a huge year. I mean, it's a pretty sharp list. I I think he left Alabama's leading receiver off, but, you know, whatever. Um, I think uh, (laughs) Cleveland. I think Cleveland's going to have a big year. I definitely Mm -hmm. would have considered putting him in the top four. Um, Yeah. would you? Why didn't you? Let me ask you that. Why? Why did you? What made you put two Alabama wide receivers on here? Was it just Tua? Uh, because I think Cleveland's going to do some pretty special things down there in Florida next year. Well, Jerry Judy, I don't know. He's just such a special talent. I just I don't know if there's anyone that could cover him in college football. And then Ruggs. Ruggs is the fastest player on Alabama, and while you would think. He may just be a speed guy. While Judy is consistent and he delivers all the time, at times Ruggs, Ruggs is a guy that I've seen him, you know, jump in the air and reach back for a ball four yards behind him that's thrown poorly and, and snatch it out of the air. I mean, he he just screams freak talent. And yeah, with two, with, when you put these guys on opposite sides of the field, I mean, there's almost no way to cover them with a with a guy as accurate as to it all across the field. So, um, I just think they're just going to be nightmares this year. I got you. Okay. I just, I, I really don't think they're going to throw as much as they did last year, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. And I think Florida's going to have to a few times. So, and that's when they're going to rely more on Cleveland or or even uh, Texas A and M, somebody like a. Uh, What's his name down there? Uh, Courtney Davis. Court, yes, I, somebody like that. You know, that has that has shown potential in in the year in last year. You know, I think they take us. If anybody's taking a step forward, I think it's one of those two guys. But uh, again, with receivers, it could go either way. And how about tight end, Shane? We're allowed to pick two. I went with Albert O from Missouri and Jared Pinckney at Vanderbilt. Any uh, disagreements there? No, none, none whatsoever on that one. That's who I would have picked. 
All right, Shane, so let's wrap up SEC Media Days with a bow here. Final thoughts on the event. Anything really st- stuck out to you? Anything kind of made you, uh, you know, really hesitate on a team or maybe gain more confidence on a team or a player, anything like that? Um, more confident in my Missouri selection, um, not just from Odom, but just listening to other coaches talk. I mean, even Muschamp talked about Kelly Bryant the other day. Um, a, lot, a lot of these coaches in the SEC are aware of what's going on over there in Missouri. So if the other coaches are aware, that means something's there. So I'm a little bit more confident with my Missouri selection. Um, I'm a little less confident with the uh, with the uh, Florida. You know, the the more that I, I'm hearing out of there, I just I didn't come away with the goosebumps that this team's going to be as good as they were as far as record as they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just didn't get that vibe. Um, I don't know any, any of them that really stood out. I mean, Gus, Gus almost had me there for a second, but then I realized he's getting fired after the old miss loss. So um, <laughs> I, I didn't get sucked into that, but you know, uh, maybe Mason. Okay. Maybe, maybe Mason convinced me a little bit you know he's talking about this is uh, the best team he's had since he's been there so maybe uh maybe i didn't give them the respect they needed but yeah other than that i, I guess the narrative kind of stays the same yeah you got to be really careful to take too much from this event because everyone's positive everyone's undefeated yeah and i bet shane if we went back and listened to last year's media days <laughs> I bet damn Chad Morris was fired up for his debut. Yeah. And I know Jeremy Pruitt was, and those were two of the damn worst teams in the league. So, you know, you can't, you can't take a whole lot from this event. But I will tell you this, Shane, and I already kind of hit on it with my quarterback selection there. You know, Joe Burrow has just got a confidence to him that it's not it's not even cocky. It's It's just... It's just confidence and like a swagger. And, uh, you know, he was on Paul Feinbaum's show over the week. Actually caught that on my drive back home from Hoover. And one thing that I had not realized, he was talking about the fact that, I don't know if you know this, Shane, he has never taken a snap under center until he got to LSU about a month before the season started. Yeah. And when you take that into consideration, just the – just the gap he went through. I mean, we're talking, I think it was week three. He's on the road at Auburn. Yeah. He, hadn't, he hadn't played football basically since high school. Uh, I just think that – I really do think the ceiling is so high for this guy if the offense is what they're saying or what it is because I don't think people really understand the receiver talent at LSU because, because <laughs> hell, they never throw the damn ball, so no one really knows it. But they are littered with all these elite targets down there. And if their trigger man is on point, I mean, I don't think he's going to put up two of numbers like we saw last year, but I think we're talking just a notch below that, like Ole Miss receiver numbers from <laughs> from the last couple years. So if they do that, and I've already said I think LSU is going to have a better defense than they had last year, I mean, this could be a hell of a team. So – I was already high on LSU 
I may be a little bit higher, and I think it all has to do with Joe Burrow, and he just seems so confident in himself in this offense. It's an offense that I don't even know if they would have went to if they didn't have him, Shane, because this is an offense that he's accustomed to. He's the one that uh, he's played in it his, his whole life, this spread-style offense, which I didn't even realize they played that in Ohio, but apparently they do. But I don't, I don't know. That, that was my main takeaway from – the four days there, I think. And my takeaway from that 20-minute ramble is that Mike is drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. And they'll probably lose to Texas in yeah, <laughs> week two, and it'll all be downhill the from there. Again. <laughs> Gus wins the West. So, uh, I mean, you just never know, man. Every, like you said, everybody's undefeated right now. Everybody's saying the right things. Um, you know, one, one other thing I will say, Bentley looked good. Of course, he always does well at media days. This isn't his first rodeo, but, um, you know, he, he was focused. He sounded like a, he sounded like a coach out there. He really, I, mean, I was like, I was like, this guy's a player. Yeah. Very, very impressive. Um, and that's, and that's the guy that's, you know, the captain of this team. So, um, I, maybe I'm a little bit, I came away a little bit better, with uh, the South Carolina as well. Plus, Muschamp, you know, all fired up. I'm telling you, man, he's bringing it when they when they play Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's without a doubt. All right, Shane, I think that's going to do it for this week's editions of that SEC podcast. Shane, we got five. It damn near killed me, but we did it. <laughs> Thank you for showing up and, and doing all the work and – yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Shane. Hey, I appreciate you going down there and getting to hang out with all the coaches and the players. I mean, you you you're living the life, Mike. So I appreciate you taking time to uh, to sit down and get this podcast out. I mean, plus, not a lot of people don't know that you do all the editing too. So I mean, that's not that's a strenuous process as well. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate the listeners. Um, we're gonna kind of get back to our normal format. Uh, next week and uh, get in a deeper dive with some of these teams because kickoff's right around the corner, Mike. Yeah, I think the news might be a little slow, but there are a ton of nuggets and all kinds of stuff that we can pull from all these SEC media days, so uh, there, there's going to be a lot to talk about, I think, and uh, just we're just trying to pass the damn time until <laughs> football season arrives, and it's just around the corner. Right around the corner, Mike. All right, Shane, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go Vols.